Sometimes you choose courage, and at other times it's forced upon you. Courage Unraveled is a podcast series where you get to listen to insights, discussions, conversations, and stories from people from all walks of life. You'll be served with dollops of courage, resilience, and strength here. So come along and be educated and inspired. You just may find new ways to flex your own courage muscle. My name is Sana Turnock, and I'm your host. Join me today as I talk to Christopher Schneider, a Dutchman who immigrated to Australia some years ago and now calls Australia home. He's on the author series as he wrote a book with a sexy title, How Men and Women Fit, Finally Understand Your Partner with the Three Brains Theory. We weave the subject matter of his book title with real life examples. You find out about Chris's mother and grandmother being forced to live in an internment camp and his grandfather being used as labour during the build of the Burma Railway during World War II. We dive into intergenerational trauma, a relationship ending soon after migrating to a new country, resilience and the importance of loving yourself. All this based on the three brains theory. Come and join me. We can connect with our heart, head and gut brains together. It's a real privilege to be able to share these inspiring podcasts of courage with you. The work undertaken takes many hours to put together and is self-funded. Become a Courage Unraveled patron on Patreon and not only will you be supporting the podcast, you will also be helping yourself by investing in your own courage. Get access to pre-release episodes and patron-only specials. It's easy being a patron and the first tiers are less than two coffees per month. Cultivate and flex your courage muscle by signing up for a one-to-one Grow Into My Courage program and grab your very own journal. You grow your courage muscle by activating it. Listen to the podcasts, grab yourself the courage journal, sign up to the Grow Into My Courage program and become a patron. After this episode, head over to courageunravel.com. It's all happening there. Grow into your courage today. Hello, Christopher, and welcome to Courage Unraveled. Hey, good afternoon, Sana. Good to meet you. And you. It's our first time together. Thank you to Amanda Hassel, who introduced yeah. us. That's really wonderful. Welcome to the author series. What I know about you is that you are a multidisciplinary practitioner, trainer, and coach in the areas of clinical hypnotherapy and neurolinguistic programming. Today, you are on Courage Unraveled to talk about your book, How Men and Women Fit, Finally Understand Your Partner with the Three Brains Theory. Now, that's a pretty sexy title. (laughs) (laughs) It's also a huge claim, finally understand your partner. When I made that claim, I thought, hmm, a lot of people say, no, still not. (laughs) Still not, fair enough. From user research, you have found that we humans have three brains, the head, the heart, and the gut brain. Firstly, what actually prompted you to write the book? I was playing with the whole concept that we have three brains, and that's not that I invented it because we all know broken heart or follow your gut feeling. But I found somewhere in all my journeys, the research that it was really true. I really have them. I always wanted to broadcast this message because when you like to help people as a therapist, as a coach, or just in, in relationships, just understand each other. I'm dyslectic, so I'm not a writer. But also came aware from if you like to broadcast your message, it can be on a podcast, making videos, or write a book. I hired three editors in the end to help me out. Okay, so that's how you did it. You spoke about evidence earlier. What kind of evidence did you discover about us having a head, heart, and gut brain? 
And there are, say, two main sources. Dr. Gershwin wrote the book, The Second Brain, and it's already more than 20 years old. He's really an official researcher in the medical science, and he is also there the, in Vietnam. He came aware that serotonin is actually a neurotransmitter in our gut system, and his whole life was dedicated on that. And he wrote the book, The Second Brain, where he really describes how our gut, our whole system there, works almost works independently. If your nerve system is still blocked somewhere there, your gut system still keeps working like it's an independent uh, machine. And that's just totally accepted that it is true. The other one was Dr. Amour. He's really a researcher and a doctor. His research, you cannot read it if you're not a doctor or scientist, so I only got some snippets of it, to be honest. What did his theory propose? Now the heart has a brain and it really functions as a brain. And the beautiful proof of that for the heart is that there is a lot of research done and also evidence that people, when they have a heart transplantation, actually memories are also transplanted. You cannot say the heart cannot remember if somebody gets a new heart and actually has habits or memories from the old person who died. We all are taught that we have a parasympathetic and a sympathetic nerve system. The strange thing is, Romans already knew we have three nerve systems, actually, based on all the gladiator fights they had. But somewhere it got washed away in science. Published a book 30 years ago about it. When you connect all those dots, it makes sense that, that they're all interconnected. So I'm not the one who invents it. I'm just the one who really says, hey, I connect the dots. All this research is done. They see you as being the connector. That's yeah. definitely right. There's lots of talk now, of course, about the gut brain, yeah. you know, with gut health and yeah. the like. Now you're moving forward with, with the heart brain. And, yeah, I love that example that you gave. I remember one story I heard about that, and I don't know how true it is, but how one person kept on having nightmares and they found out later that there was a murder involved. But yeah. the cellular memory of the heart remembered and carried it through to the next living yeah. person. Quite powerful. And that story is actually the most documented story because that's really true because they caught the killer of the previous person because the person was killed and all his nightmares, he was, they became so vivid that on one moment he went to the police after he saw some psychiatrist. He found actually the, the murderer of the donor heart. Can you let the listeners know what each brain actually represents? Because you give a bit of a breakdown yeah. in your book. Of course. We all know our logical head. We can say in our head we have three brains, the reptilian brain and the limbic brain, but they say it's emotional and the other one. But let's them keep a little bit outside, but our neocortex, the gray matter in our head, is actually pure for logic. It regulates some things, but the most important things is three things. It knows time. We're the only animal on this earth that knows time. And actually, we learn it after the age of six up to nine. Before six, we don't know what next week is. We have language there, and it's actually logic. The main purpose is, what is the highest objective of our head, is to predict the future. Why would you like to predict the future? Because it makes your survival chances higher. If you know what happened yesterday, then tomorrow you would probably do it differently if yesterday was not the best. So memory and storing memory is one big objective of our head. Why should we all otherwise remember all that stuff? It doesn't make sense, unless it's useful. If you go a little bit down our heart, what does our heart? The highest objective of our love, you could say, is love. But actually, the objective is to connect and to bond. We are uh, social animals, and the only way we can survive is in groups, actually. For group life, just like, say, dogs or zebras, you need to have a connection, and our heart is all about connection. The beauty of a female, when they give birth to a little one, the first thing that the little one actually wants was lying on your chest to feel the heartbeat. And the heart really connects. Little babies really get also at ease when they can hear the heartbeat of mom. 
The gut is for survival. And that's really the me and the ego. The gut brain, I say it in my book, is almost like a seagull. You go to the beach, you don't see any seagull, you have some food, you have 40 quote-unquote friends. Until the food is gone, and they're also gone. It's an extremely good survivor and an ego part. That's a very interesting way to describe that. In your book, you outline five reasons why our three brains struggle to form a happy relationship. So I wouldn't mind us focusing on point number five, and that relates to how we underestimate the power of trauma, abuse, or bullying. Can you shed a little bit of light on our three brains with regards to this and resilience? Absolutely. It makes so much sense. We forget it so many times. What happens in our life has really a profound effect. Let's say you had sexual abuse. What happens actually is that you trust somebody. The heart loves to trust and to connect. And that person actually that you love or like to connect with, and a lot of times it's in a family situation or a friend situation to do that, it actually gets damaged. So the heart learns in an extremely hard way. We cannot trust. The gut brain, when it happens, most times when there's abuse, it just turns off the whole system. So for those people in relationships, they love to connect, but also don't dare to connect anymore. The heart is closed. Actually, what happens physically, the gut brain, with the nerve systems, can actually turn off the heart and say, you know, we're not going to listen to you anymore. We listened once, you got massively burned. We're not going to do that again anymore. I will take charge of your love life. And that means there's actually no love life anymore. And the same is other kind of abuse. I've been bullied when I was young at school. You learn when not to trust anymore. Years after that happened, I had always a huge trust issue. And so I let people close, but not really close. I called myself almost an untouchable. Because if you're untouchable, you cannot get hurt anymore. So in that bullying example that you've just given, do you think that the gut brain then intercepted the heart brain as well? Yeah, it is. If you look at, say, in the hierarchy of who's in charge, I spoke about head, heart, gut. The hierarchy is totally different other way around. When we are still in the uterus, we're 10, 20, 40, 100 cells. The first thing that develops is the gut. From the gut system, the nerve system evolved, the heart gets evolved, and the head gets evolved. And the gut is actually the primary system. The gut system is the most primary instinct we all have. We like to live. And the gut just takes over. And based on the nerve systems, it's stronger than the other systems. So it can just turn on and turn off. So two nerve systems I spoke about, the gut can activate the dorsal vagal nerve that puts you in depression and in a total shutdown, or can activate the sympathetic nerve that's a fight or flight response to defend yourself. So it actually just overrides the heart and says, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. When I work with clients, I always say we can have different kind of ways. And so actually then one heart is dominant or one brain is dominant. So the gut brain is dominant. The heart is most times silenced and the head brain is just supporting the gut brain to understand what's happening in relationships. Okay. And this is what you think is going on also from the point of view of bullying, yeah? If you ask people who have been bullied, they don't trust anymore. They don't trust their heart anymore because the heart likes to connect. The heart is actually, I love to say, like a labrador and who waggles his tail and just is sweet to everybody. It does not think that somebody is bad. The heart doesn't think somebody is bad. If you look at dogs and their owners, they're extremely loyal. The heart connection is massive because dogs are really, the animals always live in the group. And they have a huge heart connection for their owner. And that's the beauty of it. Beautiful. Let's change direction a little bit. 
you have a really interesting family history. Your mum and your grandmother spent four years in a Japanese internment camp in Indonesia during World War II. Your mum was about eight years old at the time. She was there till she was 12. Your grandfather was forced to work on and help build the infamous Burma Rail during that time. So lots of heavy-duty trauma after they went back to Holland. I find it absolutely remarkable that your family survived, like there are three within your family, and that you were able to, I guess, hear some stories perhaps later as you were growing up. What I want to do is I want to put it together. World War II finished in 1945. Your mum had you some 20 years later. Do you think that you became a carrier of intergenerational trauma? Absolutely. I didn't know what was happening on that moment. When you're a child, you just think life is normal. My sis made me aware of it in my 20s. There was a Dutch writer who had the same happening. His parents lived in Indonesia. He also was in that camp and he wrote about it. In that book, I was reading the book and I thought, oh, wow, it makes sense what he's writing. It makes sense that you carry the trauma. And if you look at physically, it makes sense because it's stored in your cells. It connects also in your whole upbringing. It gets somewhere integrated in there. Of course, I never understood why we never wanted to have Japanese television. My grandparents never spoke about it. And why they survived? Because they're toughies. But you could see she missed her youth. And between 8 and 12, she was in a in camp. Was sent to Holland without her parents. And she missed her whole childhood and her teen later in life. And still now, she always likes to have that little... I like to have the attention. I like to be nurtured. So I learned as being also high sensitive, that if something happened in the family, you just have to be aware of mom. Not because she's crazy or whatever, just she was not trustful in her emotions always. I'm just curious, did you ever have the opportunity to work on her from a hypnotherapy point of view? Like, was she open to that? My mom, I think she went to eight different kind of psychiatrists in her life, but every time that they really wanted to go to the, the traumatic events, my mom shuts off. I once asked my mom, she wrote four or five pages on paper for, on it, and she almost died a couple of times. She was put down in one tent and, okay, let her just die. And my grandma, her mom, saved her again. She saw people around her die and those kind of stuff. So she never dared to come back there. When I was a therapist, sometimes she asked me, and I always say, Mom, I would love to help you also. But also we're too close. Because I cannot be totally objective anymore. And so it, it's hard. And I know she wants, but also know she doesn't want. And it makes totally sense. Why would you go into a pain you cannot control? You may know it will heal you, but that pain is just too much to overcome. And for a lot of people who have those issues, it is. Like I've never been four years in a camp. I just know a few stories of it. What I did when I was young, don't get me wrong. When I was young, I said, Mom, it's 20 years ago, 40 years ago, get over it. It's so extremely rude because nobody of us who never been there can understand what those four years mean to somebody. Absolutely. And do you believe that the trauma experienced from your mum influenced your three brains in the areas of courage, grit and resilience as you navigated your way in life? Oh, absolutely, yeah. When I was young, being also high sensitive, so having the talent to feel, it just gets trained more. I think all my empathetic skills and knowing what's happening and all those kind of little things are also, say, trained in that whole family situation. If you look at, say, uh, your gut brain gets trained it is not trusting always. And when we say you are not 100% secure with your parents, it's not because they beat you up, but you cannot predict their reactions and they're less emotional stable. So there's a little kid to learn actually, first observe and then act. And that's really gut brain action. Let's just test the waters and then see what's happening. Little kids in a normal situation don't do that. Little kids just come in and just like little dogs, they just do their thing. 
I know I've been trained to be much more alert on that, but not trained that there was a conscious training. Absolutely. I find it interesting where you hear people say, oh, kids, you know, they're resilient. When things happen to them, they bounce back. Sure, kids can be resilient, but what I've noticed is that as an adult, you still carry the trauma. I guess you can have adapted when you're a child, but you're still carrying that stuff with you when you get older and you still have to deal with it, you know, sooner or later, right? So when you talk about those three brains and the way that perhaps gut brain wants to take over, it's a matter of getting to understand that so that you start to soften the heart brain or allow the vulnerability to come back. But you need to train yourself, don't you? Again, a retrain. Absolutely. Are you right or left-handed, Sana? I'm left-handed. Okay, same like me, we're left-handed. So probably you experienced during school time, you had to learn to write with your right hand. One year they tried to teach me to write with my right hand. That was even more horrendous. So I stayed the lefty. But the more you train something, the more it gets there. Now, the same as a trauma, it brings a huge scar in the whole system. It is almost like you, you dig a little channel in the soil and all the water from the rain always go to the channel. So a trauma is almost like a little channel you draw in the fields and all the water just goes there. And the more water goes in there, the bigger the channel becomes. A trauma is something like that. When mm. we are educated, it just stays there and becomes even more stronger. So people are resilient and they deal with it and they don't think about it. And we just, we just live on this life and we say this is our authentic self because we don't know how we were before that. The gut brain says this is who I am, so don't change me. Because before you know if I like to change, I become vulnerable. Vulnerability, that's mm-hmm. scary. When you don't have a trauma of, say, an incident, let's say in an upbringing like I had, you don't realize, hey, my whole upbringing was somewhere a little magnet next to me. If you take the magnet away, okay, who should I be or what should I be? It is even hard to make that distinction because it was from day one I've been born there. And it doesn't mean I'm a hurt person because I'm happy with who I am and what I learned, all the things. But it is somewhere then also a journey. What do you really like to be and what do you want to be? What would I have been if I was in a different kind of situation? We don't know. Intergenerational trauma is really interesting, isn't it? Like when you were born into that space and when you're looking to heal yourself, you're really initially having to heal the layers of ancestral patterns, aren't you, before you even get to you. And that takes a lot of work if you're aware of it because some people don't realise that they're actually carrying their ancestral stuff at all. I'm not religious, but the Bible talks about it. The cursed are the sons from the sons from the sons from the sons from the sons. And they say, actually, it can go to seven generations. Three generations is actually the most normal. It makes sense. eh? My grandparents emigrated. My dad would have loved to emigrate. His brother emigrated to Australia, but he did not because he met my mom. And I'm emigrated. So you see also the immigrational part is also somewhere in the ancestral movement. That's a good segue. So let's look at that. You emigrated to Australia when you were 45 and leaving your home country takes courage, like it's a big deal. Did your parents, your grandparents, offer you any words of wisdom as you're about to completely change your life? Not really the, the wisdom because my grandparents were not there anymore. My mom did understand it. I love to have the freedom. But dad actually said in those times, you know, that his brother already emigrated to Australia in the 50s. He said, actually, we also would have been emigrated if you were not born. Actually, I would have already been living in Australia if he had his way. So he always wanted to emigrate by himself. So he just said, follow your passion. And if you look at it, say, from the hard way, I was divorced and I had three kids in Holland and they were in their teens. I also left them behind. So if you look at generations, what happened to my mom, I did the same to my kids. So if you think about it, I think, hey, wow, that's rather interesting. It's also strange that somewhere it takes that path away. It's extremely courage to leave, it takes courage to stay, I always say. 
I always said my, uh, my whole life, I'd rather regret the things I did than the things I didn't do. My friends say, you always take the difficult path. Don't you know there's an easy path in life? And I say, I don't know, I just take a path. I did not tell you. Wednesday was my second partner. That was in that days, I call it the love of my life. We're 10 years together. We emigrated together. We put all our money in building a house and moved in half a year after we emigrated. And that's almost now 10 years ago. Within a month, I went to Sydney for a job. She invited a firefighter at home who was somewhere also Dutch. He helped to hang up the curtains. And then he could close them and stay over. Well, I was not there. So what happened within half a year, she was actually breaking up the marriage and going to live with him. I still remember I was sitting during Christmas in our dream home with a swimming pool all by myself as she was living with him. And I was really thinking, what the hell did I emigrate for? Kids are in Holland, my family is in Holland. I'm sitting in my dream house, what would have been with her. I'm looking at the swimming pool all by myself. Okay, can somebody tell me again why, was, why this is fun? I learned the hard way really to be all by yourself. While most people say, Chris, why you're unhappy because you have a beautiful house with a swimming pool, you're by yourself, who cares? Jobless. That really taught me so much about survival mechanisms again. Of course, I really went depression, all kind of crap. I was not a happy person <laughs> that year. I also came aware, hey, how can you then survive? Resilience came along. How can you turn off and survive? And I thought, hey, wow. So probably my grandparents, my mom could have felt somewhere the same. Mom went to Holland. That was a safe place. That would have been, quote, quote, paradise, but I didn't see it as paradise. From the outside, it can look as paradise, but from the inside, it can still look like hell. So my, my second year in Australia was really, say, extremely tough one. You went as low as you could go, I guess, and the yeah. only way after yeah. that was up. Yeah, absolutely. Up or, up or, up or out? Yeah, 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 absolutely up or out. I still remember as it was during Christmas time, I was looking at the swimming pool and thinking, what's the need of life? The kids are living in Holland with my, with my ex. They don't need me. My ex doesn't need me. My future ex doesn't need me. Why am I here? And I still remember my sis calls me, got an older sister, and she says, drown yourself, Chris, but you're a swimmer. You can never drown. You're a swimmer. Instead of jumping in front of a train, come on, your beautiful body and your beautiful face. Do you really like to scare the, the train guys like that? And I started to laugh and it was over at that moment. Talk about resilience. And you can always say, hey, things happened to me. But in every life, things happen. People emigrate all the time. But the resilience is what did you learn in your whole life to deal with these kind of situations? And you can never blame somebody else. I cannot blame my ex that she ran away. Okay, we can discuss the way she did it. But how I felt about it, I did for myself. Nobody is responsible for my feelings or my shitty moments. I could have enjoyed my swimming pool, but instead I didn't swim for one year because I really disliked the whole system. You know what I've found really interesting is that a lot of people tend to break up after they build their dream home. Just having conversations with people and I hear this dream home and then I hear about the separation, whether it's the stress that brings out all the other emotions in people that just can't handle it anymore. I still haven't gotten to the bottom of why that tends to happen. So what is next after your dream home? That's right. And there are 30, 40 that have the dream home. What do you do the rest of your life? And you're on the top of the Mount Everest. What's more to achieve? People then start to find new adventures, new dreams, and they kill actually the dream. And when you think about it, that's when the heart brain is not strong enough in a relationship. So in that fear, when the gut brain gets fear, you don't connect with each other, but actually disconnect from each other. Christopher and I had been talking about the gut brain, the heart brain, and also what had been happening in his life after he emigrated. He went through some pretty hard times and found his resilience. I also wanted to find out about his thoughts on courage. This is what I found. What does courage mean to you, Christopher? I've thought about it a lot. Courage is something else than fearlessness for me. 
Courage is, for me, self-sacrificing action. If you think about courage in the movies like Saving Private Ryan or Sophie's Choice, courage is where you put your own life on the line to rescue for the greater good. And it can be in your family, it can be something else. But courage is not smart. Okay, interesting. If you, they don't do it for smartness because they could get killed. They do it because they like to save their body. They do it for a reason that's bigger than themselves. It's actually a hard brain action. The mom who jumps in front of the car to save her kid and, and the people in hospitals who actually save people from COVID, especially in Europe, and put their own life on risk. A lot of doctors and nurses go in there and help those people, even though they could get sick. That's for me courage. Thank you for that. You mentioned your grandparents as being courageous, and that's for obvious reasons. How have they influenced the way you live your life? Grandparents from my dad I never saw because they died before I was there. The two grandparents I know. And my grandma was really a little 150 high, but was not afraid for the devil. I still remember we were once we were walking, I would say in my 18s, we were walking in the street where she was living. And two guys walk them to the street and always like to be rude to my grandma. And my grandma steps up, 150 height, looks really up and says, Oh man, you don't talk to an old lady like me in that way. With a little finger there. And most <laughs> of them looked at my little grandma, looked at me, said sorry and walked away. <laughs> and I was like, how the hell did you do that? So I always had that thing, which had a big heart. And my granddad was really a proud person with a good heart. When he gave his, his, his hand, he gave his word, it was always there. So he educated me in do good and get good. Of course, save your own ass if it's needed. Probably he was not the most sweetest guy to save his own ass in Burma. But don't do rude to other people. So I learned from them, also from my dad, self-esteem and be proud on yourself. Give, you, give yourself unconditional love. You're good as you are. You were lucky. You were lucky you had that in your life from yeah. them. Solid foundation. So many people don't love themselves. When I train people, I always say, tonight you're going to stand in front of the mirror. Take all your clothes off. You're just bare naked there. And you say to all your body parts, I love you. And almost nobody can do that. How can you not love your own freaking body? That's the thing you have with you all your life. But somewhere they're educated that that part is not good of them. Isn't that painful, actually, that we're educated not to love ourselves? Because we're not perfect. We're perfect with all our imperfections. I always say to myself and to everybody, I'm amazing. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. I think we all go naked after this episode. <laughs> Look in the mirror and then just start saying, I love you to each body part. It's the only thing we have. So love what you have instead of disliking what you have. You're very lucky to have that wisdom from your family to guide you. One final question. Yes. Are you courageous? If I would ask my girlfriend, she would say absolutely, because most times I follow my heart. If you look at say, the three brains, and I also have a test about it on my website, you can test which brain is more dominant in your decision-making. Now, for me, it's my heart, my gut, and then somewhere at the end, my head. And people say I'm extremely optimistic. And I always believe in the good thing because I think every human on this earth, even you're Trump or whomever, is in the inside really good. I always say with all my clients, everybody always goes with trust. Because if you don't start with trust, if you don't start with, yes, it can, actually you will, it will never happen. So in that part, people say, I'm courageous. I just say, I just trust the system that it will happen. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step in faith. And I love that sentence. That's a beautiful sentence and a lovely way to finish up. Thank you so much for being on Courage on Rebel today and sharing your wonderful insights into the three brains and a little bit about your family uh, life, which has been rather incredible. Thank you, Sana, for having the opportunity to share because what you do is extremely important. 
to bring these stories, and not about my story, but all those stories, into the world. Because we sometimes forget we are actually all the same. And we all have these stories. You're doing an amazing job by what you're doing. Thank you, Christophel. Until next time. There is a lot to reflect on what Christopher had to say in our conversation today. I love the phrase, you don't have to see the whole staircase, just take the first step in faith. That is what you have to do when you want to cultivate your courage muscle and a courage mindset, as sometimes not all is revealed. To make contact with Christopher and get access to his book, How Men and Women Fit, Finally Understand Your Partner with the Three Brains Theory, go to Series 4, Episode 22, and all will be in the show notes. Jump onto courageunraveled.com forward slash podcasts. Did you know that you can now do a Courage Mindset program? To find out more, visit courageunraveled.com forward slash services. Finally, I want to give a big shout out to an Apple podcast reviewer for this. Sana's conversations are insightful and inspiring. She puts her guests at ease, making it for a safe environment to share and be vulnerable. Listen to these relatable stories, open your heart and mind. You're here for a treat of going to places not many have the courage to visit. Thank you so much. And guess what, everyone? There's more to come. Keep listening via your favorite audio platform. I'm Sana Turnock, your Courage Unraveled host.